Welcome back to our study, What is the Christian Faith? In our first session, we talked about what Jude means by the phrase, the faith. And we saw not only from Jude, but from several, several other passages in the New Testament, that there is something called the faith that all Christians agree upon, that unites all Christians, that all Christians believe, and that Christians are called to contend for. Something that we don't change, but that was delivered to us, that was given to us, that we are to, again, not only believe, but also hold on to. In this session, we are going to look at several places in the New Testament where we find a consistent pattern of truths that are affirmed and that Christians believe that I think are what Jude and Paul meant when they talked about the faith. And so I want you to look with me, if you would, at several passages from the New Testament and see if you don't see as well this pattern of sound words, to use Paul's language from 2 Timothy, a pattern of sound words, a collection of truths that form the core of the Christian faith that are repeated over and over and over throughout the New Testament that are not really up for debate, but are things that all Christians believe, all Christians affirm, and that all Christians uh, ought to be willing to um, contend for, to stand up for. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. And part of the reason why we're starting here is because I love this chapter and I love this passage. Another reason why we're starting here is because you may have in your mind from the last session or the beginning of this session a little bit of unease about whether or not we should be saying that there is part of the Bible that is more important than the rest of the Bible, right? Are there, are there certain doctrines, certain truths in Scripture that are more important than other doctrines and other truths in Scripture? And Paul helps us uh, answer that concern right out of the bat, right out of the gate in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, when he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Right, so he says, this was the most important thing I told you. Right, so again, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's all God's word, right? And it's all important, but it is not all of equal importance. Not every doctrine, not every truth in the Bible is of equal importance. And if we misunderstand that, then we will end up contending for doctrines that aren't part of the faith that Jude was talking about, as though all Christians have to affirm these doctrines. When in reality, there are, as we talked about before, there are parts of the Bible that Christians struggle to agree on, that, that we struggle to interpret, that we struggle to understand, if we're honest. And uh, some of those disagreements can turn into contentious disagreements and fights and controversies if we don't recognize that there are certain truths that we are all supposed to agree on and that we are to contend for together 
But there are other truths where we might not all agree, but that doesn't mean we're not all still Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? So Paul says very plainly, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He does not say everything he told the Corinthians was of equal importance. He doesn't say that. He says this that I told you was of first importance. What was it? I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. Notice there he's using language similar to what we saw last time. What he delivered to the Corinthians was not something he created, but something he received. A body of truths, a set of truths, a set of doctrines that he didn't invent, that he didn't create, that he received and then passed on to the Corinthians who received them from him. And all Christians have received these same truths, heard these same truths, believed these same truths. These are the faith. These are the core doctrines that all Christians hold in common. What are they? Here's what he says. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. So notice just a handful of things. One, he mentions the death of Christ for our sin. We could spend a whole session talking about what that is, but at this point, I just want to point out, this is at the core. This is one of the things of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Second, he mentions that Jesus was buried and then raised on the third day. That also is a core non-negotiable doctrine. That is a part of the Christian faith, that Jesus was buried because he really died, and then he really rose from the dead on the third day. He also mentions that all of this happened according to the scriptures. You see that in there a couple of times, that he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he was raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, meaning these things that happened to Jesus, these things that Jesus accomplished, they didn't come out of nowhere, but they are fulfillments of God's promises from the Old Testament. Right? And then also he says, if we go down to verse 11 after he's talked about the apostles witnessing Jesus alive after his death and resurrection and Paul himself meeting the risen Christ on the road to Damascus then he says in verse 11 whether then it was I or they meaning Paul is I and they is the other apostles whether then it was I or they so we preach and so you believed in other words all the apostles preached this all the apostles preached the death of Christ for our sin, his burial, and resurrection on the third day. We all agree on that. We all affirm that. And that's what you believe. He can say that to every Christian he's writing to. That's what you believed. That's what all the apostles preach. That's what all Christians believe because this is part of the faith. This is part of uh, what it means to be a Christian. This is at the core of who we are and what we believe. We see uh, similar truths highlighted by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. This is also after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is meeting with some of his disciples. And in Luke 24, 44, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's just like Paul saying these things happened according to the Scriptures. Jesus is saying the same thing. The things that happened to me happened 
to fulfill the scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, meaning the whole Old Testament. And it says, verse 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written, so again, this is all biblical, Thus it is written, the scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he says, you are witnesses of these things. So notice here in Luke 24, again, you, it's according to the scriptures, to use Paul's language. Jesus here, re, you know, it's opening their minds to understand the scriptures, telling them what the scriptures said, saying this fulfills the scriptures. <laughs> he mentions the suffering of Christ, right? that the Christ should suffer. That's talking about Jesus' death. He talks about the fact that he would rise from the dead on the third day, just as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And then he adds here that uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be proclaimed in his name. Of course, Paul talks about that at length in his letters as well, just not in that portion of that passage we were looking at earlier, but that's part of Paul's message as well. When he says Christ died for our sins, right, and he was raised from the dead, What's he going to say? You need to repent and believe that message. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Repentance and forgiveness of sin are to be the, forgiveness of sins are to be proclaimed in His name to all the nations. People are to repent and believe this message, right? And then He says in verse forty-eight, "You are witnesses of these things." In other words, you saw my death. You're witnesses of my resurrection. And so you're to go tell people these things that happened. Just like Paul says, these are things I received and I have delivered them to you. They're not things that the witnesses don't get to change what they witnessed. They are simply to tell what happened. These are the unchanging truths that all the apostles preached that all Christians believed. The death and resurrection of Christ. So there's a pattern there, right? Now we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verses 6 to 11. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, we see, again, something of an expansion of that pattern, but the same pattern is there, right? So in Philippians 2, beginning of verse 6, it says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that pattern of words, again to use Paul's language, goes a little bit further back than the ones we've been looking at because it begins with the fact that the, the Son of God was in the form of God before he took on flesh and was born as a man. But then it goes into the same pattern we've already seen, right, that he uh, was obedient to the point of death, that's talking about his death on the cross. And then when it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, that would include his resurrection as well as his ascension into heaven and his session being seated at God's right hand. Again, it's the same events are at the heart of what Paul is reminding these believers of what Jesus did. This is the pattern of sound words. If we go over to Colossians, again, we're going to see the same basic pattern. 
in just slightly different words. Colossians 1, 15, beginning verse 15, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now like uh, in Philippians 2, and here in Colossians 1, Paul starts a little bit further back than he does in 1 Corinthians 15, but he's talking about the same Christ, the same events. Right? He says he's, he's the image of the invisible God. All things were created through him. All things were created by him. And he talks about his death there at the end, right? He was making peace by the blood of his cross. He talks about his resurrection in verse 18 where he says uh, he is the firstborn from the dead, right? That's talking about his resurrection. He's the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again, right? So again, same death, resurrection, um, you know, Jesus is God. And he talks about how the, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. All these things are part of this pattern, part of these core non-negotiable doctrines. Right? Let me give you one more place. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament scriptures. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That's Jesus whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, which is the same thing that Paul was just saying in Colossians 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, which is the same as saying he was in the form of God, which is the same as, as saying, uh, that's from Philippians 2, same as saying he was the image of God from Colossians 1. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, how did he do that? Through his death on the cross. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How did that happen? First he was raised from the dead, then he ascended uh, to heaven. God has exalted him and he's now seated at God's right hand, just like Paul uh, was talking about in Philippians chapter 2. So there's a pattern there, right? At, at its heart, is the death of Jesus for our sin, his resurrection from the dead on the third day, and also the fact that Jesus is God, that he's God in the flesh, that all the fullness of deity dwells in him. He's the image of God. He was in the form of God before he took on the form of man. He um, is the exact imprint of God's nature. All of this is part of the faith. Now, we could keep going. I, I would encourage you, uh, for example, to go to the book of Acts and see if you see this same pattern in the sermons the apostles preach in Acts. Look at Peter's sermon in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Look at Peter's sermon in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. Uh, look at uh, Paul's sermon in the synagogue in Acts chapter 13. Look at um, Paul's sermon in Acts 17, where he's at the Areopagus, the uh, Mars Hill. A little bit different because he's preaching to Gentiles there, but he still gets to the same core message. Compare those sermons and see if there you also see a pattern of words, a pattern of truths 
that are at the heart of each of those sermons. They might have different emphasis, different things they add here and there, but those core truths show up again and again and again. Or try this, look at 1 Corinthians 1, or Galatians 1, or Ephesians 1, or Revelation chapter 1. At the beginning of so many of the books of the Bible, look at the Gospel of John chapter 1. At the beginning of so many books of the Bible, we see these fundamental, foundational truths that Jude calls the faith, that Paul calls the faith, rehearsed over and over and over and over again because these are the core of what we believe. Now, again, we could spend a lot more time going through more and more and more examples, but hopefully these examples have helped you to see if you haven't seen it before or reaffirmed if you have seen it before that there is this core pattern of doctrines of truths of uh, events even Jesus's death and resurrection that are at the heart of what all Christians believe these are the things that Jude is talking about when he says that we are to contend for the faith now, in our next session, I hope to look at how some early Christians outside of the Bible tried to articulate, tried to say, to explain, to confess these same truths in a, in a clear, succinct way, articulating to the world or to one another what Christians mean by the faith. What is it that all Christians believe and we will see if what they say measures up to what scripture says and if what they say can help us also faithfully confess in our own day what it is that Christians mean by the faith. So I hope to see you next time for that. In the meantime, God bless.